In the Trenches with Ryan Roxy. Hello, hello, hello. Ryan Roxy here and welcome to another edition of In the Trenches podcast. Thank you very much for tuning in. If you are tuning in on Apple or Spotify or any of those other platforms, get your butt over to YouTube or Facebook Live because you want to see our guests as well, don't you? And if you are watching on YouTube right now, please hit that subscribe button because we have a very, very special guest today. It's, I, you know what? I was wondering why I have a little bit of eustress, not not distress, eustress in my body. It's a good kind. It's, it's the type of stress that gets you energized and excited. It's because of our guest today. Um, I do talk a lot about him in interviews uh, we've played together in not just one band, a couple different bands. Uh, we'll talk about all that kind of stuff. But um, most of all, I've learned so much about rock and roll from this guy. And right before the show, when I was doing the math on my fingers, and that's about as good as my math gets, it's over 30 years that we've known each other, quite possibly going into going mid thirties. All right. Let's say that, <laughs> but you're going to, you're going to love them. Um, that's why you're already in the chat room right now. I appreciate you guys showing up early. And if you have some great questions for our guests, please put them in again. If you're watching it and listening to it, um, on Apple or Spotify, you can come over to our live stream right now, which is, uh, the YouTube channel, Ryan Roxy official, and just subscribe to that button. But please let's start the, in the trenches show today, because I couldn't be happier to invite our good friend, my good friend, and soon to be yours. Uh, welcome to Into the Trenches, Gilby Clark. Hey, Roxy, how are you, my friend? How you doing, man? How about- I'm great. I'm great. Happy to be here, man. <laughs> I, I so I wanted to give this whole big introduction about how you know we've been going through all these crazy times in 2020, and we've been shut down. We've been you know through riots, looting, uh, pandemics, and all this kind of stuff. But then I was just going to say, you know what? Our first guest comes from Cleveland, Ohio, originally, <laughs> and and that would just make things even out. And now you've been living in Los Angeles, so I I mean I know you as as Mr. Los Angeles because that's where I met you. But you mm-hmm. born and raised from Cleveland, and uh, how are you? holding up through all these times in 2020 so far? Ah, well, thanks for asking. But, uh, uh, you know, I've been actually great. Um, you know, I have uh, I have a lot of hobbies, you know. So what this has done for me is given me time to really kind of concentrate on other things besides, you know, uh, you know, touring and making records and things like that. So um, I, I uh, you know, you probably haven't seen it yet, but, you know, I put a full uh, motorcycle shop in my garage and I now have like a mill and a lathe and welding equipment and drill presses and all kinds of things. So I've been kind of going crazy in the garage and building lots of things. Well, motorcycles have always been uh, not just a hobby. It's been sort of your lifestyle ever since I met you. You are actually, you know, truly one, a, a real biker. You've, you know, you're not just one of those weekend warrior bikers. You've had bikes the entire time I've met you. Um, you've gone not just played Sturgis which is the biggest bike fest in the states for those European listeners but you've also played it but you've ridden your bike there from Los Angeles multiples of times I mean what got you into the whole motorcycle world well actually Ryan it goes back to uh to Cleveland when I was a a little kid I had a Hells Angels clubhouse across the street from us when I was (laughs) like really really little and actually my uh my best friend 
when when I was younger, um, he lived with his brother in the house next door to that. So, you know, we idolized, you know, those club members and stuff. You know, we would peek out the window when it got late at night. We weren't allowed outside and we watch all the motorcycles going up and down the street. But, you know, people would think that they were like, you know, too crazy for the neighborhood. But actually, they were very respectful of the neighborhood. But, yeah, just seeing those guys out my window and out, you know, on the street and stuff, just, you know, just I idolized them. You know, I thought it was the coolest thing ever. This is a weird coincidence because you grew up with a Hells Angels clubhouse across the street. Our week, our last week's guest, Michael Monroe, lived in New York City right on top and next door to the New York. 11th Street, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Hells Angels clubhouse right there for many years. So um, we do have a lot of Hells Angels. uh, I guess maybe hopefully we are endorsed right now. I'm wearing my California. I hope my colors are or right on. legit, you know, but if you're listening to it, you're listening to it on, on a, a bike. bike. Yeah. And it's, and, and it's, we're just talking. So the motorbikes are too loud anyway. Motorbikes. What am I, you know, I, I feel like I'm a moped guy at that point, but I, I never, I never owned a motorcycle back in, just so give you a little context, folks. Uh, Gilby and I met each other in the maybe early mid eighties, right around yeah. there. And, um, we've, I joined his band, which was called Candy. And from that day on, then all of hair metal exploded, that whole cat house, Ricky Rackman, Tammy Down scene. In fact, there it is. Our producer Vic just put a picture of <laughs> us. A lot of hair there. <laughs> that was a lot of hair and a lot of hairspray, if you guys can imagine. I think the best way to describe how we met in Candy is that if you guys want to go and watch that episode of uh, Brady Bunch, uh, the Johnny Bravo, where he where he wears the suit, because <laughs> I kind of fit in with you guys at that point. Yeah, and yeah, you're perfect. But explain explain to people what Candy was and how it kind of fit in the scene, but it didn't either. Yeah. Well, Candy was interesting because, you know, like you said, you know, hard rock and metal was really happening at that time. And to be honest, you know, I was really never a metal guy, you know, a hard rock guy. I mean, I, you know, of course I liked, you know, bands like Judas Priest and Black Sabbath, but you know, I, it wasn't really my thing. I actually liked a lot of English, you know, uh, music, you know, like I, I love the clash. Uh, I love the pretenders when they came out in like 1980. So candy was really just about four guys that kind of like different music. And we all kind of had that Ramones kind of black hair, leather jackets, torn jeans look. But our music was much more on the pop side, you know. It's like people would say we're like the Bay City Rollers, which we really weren't. I mean, we had like loud guitars and stuff, but the music was definitely more on the pop side. You know, we definitely idolized like Billy Idol and things like that. But uh, so, yeah, when the band started, it was the early 80s. And then, uh, you know, we had made a record, uh, you know, we were, uh, did a video, we're on tour and all those kind of things. But, you know, things weren't really working and bands like Poison and Motley Crue were really getting big. So we kind of thought there was time to make some changes. So uh, our singer wasn't really get, uh, getting along with the band and stuff. So he left the band and uh, and we found you, Ryan. And yeah, uh, you were like the perfect candidate. <laughs> I for fit the, band. the suit. <laughs> I'm, I think I fit the leather jacket. I definitely use the same brand of uh, of hair dye. Do you remember that <laughs> brand? Was it, it was black as were. Uh, I probably still use it today. <laughs> <laughs> you got the best hairline in rock and roll. <laughs> I always wear hats, but Gilby, you don't have to. That's great. <laughs> What no, what was it? Black Azure? Uh, 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 I, I got geez, boys. I, I can't, I, you know, I can't remember. And it was 
but yeah, it's like black and blue or something like that. And yeah. it was definitely Aquanet unscented. I always tried oh, to go yeah. for the unscented, but sometimes you had to sacrifice the scented <laughs> at a show. Yeah, you had to do whatever was left over in the store. <laughs> you, you ended up smelling like a like a pensioner, an older lady that had a, a bouffant hair or Mike Monroe's haircut, for that matter. Um, <laughs> so, so we did. We did candy for a few years. We played around in um, the thing that I enjoyed about being in candy, of course, just learning the ropes and all of a sudden jumping into a band that was popular among the L.A. scene. Um, I remember one of my most uh, sort of etched in my head is that you guys were known. So I sort of rode the coattails. In fact, maybe that's a pattern of my life right now. I get to ride the coattails of a lot of acts that are already established. But uh, we ended up going into a gig one night at the Roxy and uh, everybody knew who you were. And the band was Candy. But we were there to see two new up and coming bands. And one was L.A. Guns. And they were opening up for another band called Guns N' Roses. That oh, and, yeah. and and I remember all of us kind of looked at each other and we said, well, OK, I guess we're going to start playing heavier. And and, we're gonna yeah. and, and, and things kind of changed collectively for all of yeah. us, which, of course, you know, years later and his, the way history works itself out, you end up playing in, in maybe you even played in an L.A. Guns uh, band lineup at one point. I think it's <laughs> probably at the rite of passage. You might have played in all those bands. Exactly. Because all, you know, for, for everybody pretty much knows the story of Gilby Clark of, of that band of being in GNR. Yeah. But I, I don't think, and this is why I wanted you to on the podcast so we could talk about the other types of bands, the, the other bands that you've been in with candy and kill mm. for thrills, Colonel Parker, maybe a oh, few yeah. of you out there don't, uh, don't uh, know that Gilby played guitar for Nancy Sinatra did yeah. some touring with uh, Heart as well. Heart, yeah. And don't forget uh, Rockstar Supernova. So, I mean, and, and, and it goes on and on. So it's just not just one uh, one band, maybe one band that people associate you yeah. with and then go from there. But also, this is what I think is the most impressive when I was mm-hmm. doing the research, eight solo records, right? Is this going to be your... Yeah, is the, you know... I, I've lost count, Ryan. <laughs> I, I, I didn't. <laughs> Eight of them. That, that's including blues. That's yeah. that is including the EP blues. blues, and I was on that. I'm very proud. Yeah, of you're that. on that record yes, too. Yes, there you are. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I yeah, know. That's what's funny is you know it's interesting. I mean, as far as the solo record stuff, you know, I never intended you know to be a solo artist. It was really just a matter of at that time. It was right when GNR had gotten off the you know like a long road trip. And, uh, and we weren't going to do anything for a while, you know, and I had a bunch of songs, you know, from a- another band, the Blackouts, which was in between Kill for Thrills and, uh, and Guns N' Roses. I had a band called the Blackouts and that's where songs like Tijuana Jail were written. And, uh, and I didn't have anything really to do with those songs. You know, it's like, you know, Gene R wasn't interested, you know, the band was going to make a record. So I made the first solo record, Pawn Shop Guitars. And then as time went by, it just kind of like, oh, you know, you got some new songs. You have enough songs for a record. Let's make another record, then another one. And like I said, now we have There's <laughs> eight <up>. solo records. <laughs> Look at that vinyl. <laughs> and here's the thing, what I find very interesting, because it all comes back again. In the new video, I find you in a guitar pawn shop 
of course. Yes, and, and we'll talk about the video later. <laughs> We're, we'll talk about we'll talk about that a little bit later. But it is funny how things do come complete circle. So we're in Candy. And then that band, I, I, when I tell the history of it, it basically splintered off into Kill for Thrills and the band that I joined with the other guys in Candy called Electric Angels. And we actually would play the same uh, clubs. We'd play the same scene. We were in that uh, mid-80s, you know, sort of, uh, I guess it would, you can't really say hair metal because- Yeah, it wasn't hair metal at all. You're right, yeah. It was, I mean, I always thought, it's funny because we, we had clubs like Scream and in and, and cat house and uh white trash and those right. th- like you know you could probably consider cat house maybe a little more along the hair metal things where ricky would never let you say that of course but not. They, it really wasn't you know band you know um you know, they would have, uh, uh, you know, Allison Chains, you know, played Cat House. Yeah, stuff, Allison you know? Chains, I was going to say, Allison Chains was very, very popular amongst the, the Scream and sort of the downtown club and the Janice Garza. Chains Addiction and, you yeah. know, all those bands. So it's it's funny. It's like I think people have a, a very uh, distorted view of what those years really was. It wasn't just one scene. It was a lot of different scenes, you know. And and like you said, we weren't really a part of the metal thing, the Sunset Strip thing, even though we did play the Roxy, the Whiskey, the Troubadour. We really weren't a part of it, you know. Yeah, but we kind of, we were able to sort of, be, because of your guys' history with that, because I know that you would, you would, uh, lasted through the first wave of yeah. metal because you were the pop rock band, but you know, you always played with a Les Paul and looked cool as fuck. So that kind of gave you a pass amongst the Wasp fans, the Rat fans, yeah. the Motley fans. And then when that switch made to the, like you said, the newer bands like Poison and GNR and Faster Pussycat, um, then all of a sudden we, we kind of fit in there as well. But you know, yeah. we eventually went to New York. You guys uh, stayed in Los Angeles. Kill for Thrills made how many records was that? I made, we made two records. I mean, really one and a half. <laughs> one and a half. Okay. <laughs> I got you. Well, I still remember the day you called me and you said, you said, hey, man, I'm in New York. Or actually, I'm in Boston, but I'm playing. Oh, yeah, that's right. You were at the, at the, at the very first gig I did with GNR. Yeah. Second, right? I don't know you were at it. It's I was at the a, second. It, no, because oh, the it wasn't, second one, but it was at the same place. Yeah, yeah. You called me, no, because didn't you play Boston Garden first night, yeah, and then yeah, oh, did you go to the New York one? But yeah, I saw you guys in Boston. It was which was my first show with the band, and uh, and like I said, I, I saw you guys like when <laughs> when I was there. I, I do remember that too. Oh, I just Fair remember way. getting a call saying, "Hey, I'm playing New York. So, you know, you want to come to the show?" And I said, "Yeah, of course, man. What club?" And you go, "It's not a club. It's it's Madison yeah. Square Garden." <laughs> and, that, and this was before, folks. You have to understand, this is before you could just put it on. Twitter or put it on yeah, your yeah. your Insta story. It was like yeah. no, this was something that was big and I somehow kept it really under wraps. You know, yeah, yeah. It happened so fast. It's kind of like what happened. It was kind of like oh my, you're in the band and you know we're playing a show next week. So it did happen really really quick. <laughs> well. I remember when I first joined the Cooper band, he gave me a lot of songs to learn in a very short period of time. I, did you get the same sort of thing? Uh, no, you know, that's the funny thing about the GNR thing was GNR never had a set list. You know, it, it's Axel would call the songs out. So I asked them, I said, can't you just give me your set list, which would probably be 20 to 23 songs. And they go, no, you have to learn them all. I had to learn the whole 50 song catalog uh, basically in a week to do my first show with the band. That's considerably 
more than less than minor. More that's than a minor. lot of work. <laughs> that's way more work than I ever did in my whole career with Alice Cooper. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Shit. So you learned you learned everything and just for the audibles. Yeah, okay. yeah, just for the audibles. And and I got to tell you, Ryan, I I've told this story a few times, but it's kind of funny. But Axel, if anybody knows Axel, he has a very low, deep speaking voice. And when you're on stage and you've been on the GNR stage with with the loud amps and the hiss of the loud amps. And he would he would call the songs out. So whoever started the song, he'd walk up to you and he'd go, uh, you know, don't cry. And I'd look around. I go, did he say you could be mine? <laughs> like, I couldn't really hear him. And off the bat, our hearing isn't 100 percent. Yeah, folks. Exactly. I, I mean, we've all played in. I've played with uh, Gilby. I know how loud he is. I've played in a band with Slash. I know how loud Slash is. I can't imagine how loud playing in a band with Gilby and Slash at the same time would be. So, yeah, it was a little loud. <laughs> and that was, was before in airs and all that stuff. <laughs> and but again, one of the the constant uh, companions that you always had was a cool guitar you always you had a go-to usually it was a Les Paul I remember even yeah, before the GNR days uh you would actually let me borrow this amazing Les Paul custom it was heavy oh, as yeah. hell it, yeah. weighed, it weighed about as much as probably your wife did at the time <laughs> and and it, and it was but but it sounded so good it was was there a little bit of history? Because I think that was the diamond one. The diamond one, yeah, yeah, was, which got stolen, unfortunly, but yeah. yeah. Was that was that owned by someone, or, or did it have no, some sort of history? No, that's my guitar, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had, I've, I had that guitar forever. It was like a late 70s Les Paul, and like you said, it was so frigging heavy. But I, at that time, I'd switched over. I, I had that, uh, that black standard, and I was kind of playing that one all the time. So that one got neglected. But, yeah, you know, I loaned that guitar to a friend of mine, um, and you know, I, I loaned it to you. I loaned it to guitar. <laughs> you loaned it people. to everybody. Yeah, I didn't <laughs> I steal it. Everybody. <laughs> yeah, but unfortunately, the last person I loaned it to, I didn't get it back. Uh, it actually got stolen. So that's yeah. a bummer. Well, yeah. I mean, I know during that time because we sort of grew up Gibson Marshall guys, but then because you're playing with Slash, and I understand it, you wanted a different, a tiny bit of a different tone, and then yeah. you obviously went for an amp company that's you know, so iconic and, and so world renowned with bands like the, whether it's the Beatles or whether it's queen, but you started yeah. a wall of Vox amps. I remember that, <laughs> right? I had a lot of AC thirties. <laughs> yeah. You know what it was, was when I first started with GNR, I mean, even though slash is a, is a Les Paul Marshall guy and I was a Les Paul Marshall guy, you know, he played with, you know, a lot more gain than I did, but sometimes we would hit like a chord and I honestly had no idea who hit the chord. I, I couldn't tell. And um, and so I just needed something to, you know, just so I can kind of pick my sound out when we're on stage. Because once again, everything was really, really loud back then. And the, the, all the monitors really were just Axel's vocals. It's not like we could have our guitars, you know, follow us. So, yeah, I started playing AC30s, which I had done a long, long time before that. And I, and I kind of forgot about it. But, man, they were, they were perfect. It's like it, if you turn an AC30 up all the way... It really is like a great Marshall. It's just got a little bit more mid-range. You know? Yeah, and, and it, it cuts. It, I remember it cutting. Yeah. It, it, it would definitely cut through a lot of the, the the clubs and venues that we eventually played with your solo band, which I'm getting exactly. to. Um, <laughs> so through all this, what happens, because I always say Gilby is a you know guitarist, singer, songwriter, but then he becomes a producer. And, I, and tell me if I'm wrong, 
But I feel because you've always helped us with our demos throughout the candy days. And, and then yeah. even with electric angels, you, you had, you know, your, your hands in that. And obviously with my bands, whether it's dad's porno mag or whether it's Roxy 77, you've always been a great producer when it comes, you just get it. You get, and you don't take a lot of time uh, getting that sound, getting that, you know, the mix and you know, the yeah. tone. So, I'd say, and tell me if I'm wrong or tell me how it all came about. You became a bonafide producer when you mixed your own single off the first Pawn Shop Guitars album called Cure Me or Kill Me. That single, because you said, you know what? I I got this. I know what it sounds like. And how did that story go about? <laughs> That's funny, Ryan. That's funny you remember that. But uh, yeah, we, when we were doing, uh, like, like you said, you know, before in the early candy days, you know, my day job was a sound man at all the clubs in LA. You know, I worked everywhere from, you know, Wong's to the lingerie. I did the Roxy, the whiskey, and that kind of taught me about sounds. And like you said, quickly, you know, sometimes you just have to get it very, very fast and, and, and go with the mix, but it taught me. And so, you know, we learned from the studio, you know, just working in it and, and getting sounds and, and listening to songs and just kind of, you know, kind of hearing what's the best part about the song. And to me, it's always simple. Whatever's the best part of the song, just turn it up the loudest. <laughs> but I really learned arrangements. And I think that was kind of from the pop background, you know, of listening to all those, you know, 70s AM radio, you know, hits and stuff, you know, it's just quick to the chorus. So that's what, what kind of got me into it. But when the Pawn Shop record came along, you know, I, I hired Thompson and Barbieros to mix a record who I thought did a fantastic job. But somehow, Cure Me or Kill Me, you know, it, it just, it wasn't where I wanted it to be. And and you probably remember this back in those days, I, I kept playing that urge overkill sister Havana song. Like, yeah. Oh dude, I, I play it to this day to, in order to get a good guitar sound or whatever. It's still such oh, great. a great mixed. It's a, such a if, if Vic, if you can put up that graphic of urge overkill, I always tell our producer to put up stuff. that's impossible <laughs> for him to put up, <laughs> but, but there was a band called urge overkill. I think they were from the Midwest as well, right? They were from Chicago. I actually, yeah, I got to know them a little bit later, but that's yeah, cool. they had, a, I mean, it was, a, it was a perfect, you know, pop rock song, you know, it was it, it loud guitars and drums were, were slamming, but it had a great pop melody to it. And when I was doing cure me or kill me, man, I kept putting it up and going, guys, this is what we're going for. And I actually called the mixer that did it in, Oddly enough, the mixer was a rap guy. He had done rap records. So that record, the drums were all sampled. They were, they were played oh, live, wow. but okay. they were sampled. Now, we didn't sample, you know, back then. But what it did was it just let me kind of, you know, work on those sounds a little more. And like the direction that I went with the drums and the guitars, you know, nobody else were, was going. And, and it really was just kind of being drying in the face, you know. But, but yeah, I, I mix that song. I, I still think it sounds good to this day. Oh, are you kidding me? I mean... Just for some homework for our listeners again out there, if you are watching us on YouTube, your first homework assignment is to subscribe to the channel. All right. Just do that for me. But then afterwards, go check out Gilby Clark because uh, I. I'm in that video as well. Gilby Clark, cure exactly. me or kill me. You'll hear, you'll get a lot of bang for your buck because I remember the day that uh, we recorded that video. I think 
your wife Daniela was days away from giving birth, right? She yeah, was, yeah, she's she was pretty much ready to pop, right? Yeah, yeah very much so. <laughs> and, <laughs> Hoping she would pop out in the video. <laughs> and that was a psychedelic type of vibe on it. It's a cool yeah. video. Uh, Mark Denzison's in the video. Um, Will Efforts that, and so it was Will Efforts, Mark Denzison, uh, myself, and I know that Joe. Um, from Dogs No More, he was a part of the band as well before. So that yeah. was that sort of was the, the the Gilby Clark and the Tequila Brothers, and that's yes, a yes. that's a good uh, video to go check out. And then obviously afterwards, go check out Urge Overkill, Sister Sister Havana, yeah, Bef- yeah. Havana. Oh, there, can you believe he came up with it? Come on, he's, man, that's he's quick. Great. He's really that's quick. All right, I, I'm going to listen to that afterwards. But so yeah. so you've produced. Um, not just your own solo albums after that. You also produced a band called De Bronx, which. Oh, yeah, got, yeah. You know, and, and let me ask you this Do you like being on stage, performing, playing, or do you like being behind, letting, you know, making magic happen what's your what's your favorite spot i think it's really a combination of both i I, you know i think in the perfect world you know you're you tour during the summer and you record records in the winter you know but it doesn't always work that way um and also times have changed you know records you know don't have the budgets that they used to have so it's a little bit harder to make the records that you want to make a lot of people do it themselves now but um the bronx record actually came from our good buddy jonathan daniel you know jonathan was managing the band and he suggested it. And and I took a meeting with the guys and I sat in the middle of their rehearsal room. They had like a tiny rehearsal room in Hollywood. And I sat in the middle and I listened to them play, you know, their, their set of uh, their tracks. And I go, you know, we got to kind of cut this record live. I mean, you know, to me, all bands have a great first record, you know, but it's gotta be dirty. It's got, it's got to, it, it can't be that Pro Tools clean and tight. It's got to be noisy. It's got to, you know, it's got to be raw. Cheap so trick, cheap trick. <laughs> first cheap, cheap trick. Cheap trick, cheap one, one of the greatest. Pro- yeah, it's so, so great. Exactly. But that's raw. You listen to how they developed over the years, you know, from that first record. That, that's just like almost like one guitar, really. You know, it's barely two guitars on that yeah. record. I, I agree but, with but you. Yeah, um, yeah. It, it, you got to, and that's the thing is, you know, there's so many forces against you when you're making a record. So many things have to, uh, you know, come, come in line together to really make a great record. You know, it's not just about having great songs, but it's about having great performances and people all on the same page. It's like, you know, if you have a band where there's four guys, they don't always agree. Then you have a producer, then you have a label, then you have a manager, and then you have a girlfriend or a wife. <laughs> right. you know, it's, it's nearly impossible. Sometimes the girlfriend or the wife is the manager. You never know. Exactly. <laughs> But yeah, that's one of those records where it just really worked. I mean, and to be honest, we we were butting heads in, in the mix stage. And what's funny is we ended up going back to the very first mixes that I did that I handed in. But it went the long way around <laughs> to get back to the beginning mixes. But it just goes to show sometimes, you know, you don't know what you want until you hear it. Right. Well, you've you've done eight of your own solo albums. Do you have, do you have one that's uh, sort of pops out from the others or do you take each one individually? Well, I mean, I do take one, everyone individually to me records marked a period of time, you know, it's what you're listening to, what you feel at that time. And hopefully they do. Um, to me, the pawn shop record is always going to be my favorite. It just, cause that record was songs from, you know, 10 years before. And, 
it was kind of almost like a best of at that point. Yeah. Um, that record just really, I mean, if anybody ever asked me, you know, who, who are you as an artist? I, I just, that record, it, it covers everything, you know, mm-hmm. the guitar, there's, there's, there's rock on it. There's pop on it. There's blues. There's a little Beatles on there. It's a little bit. Of, and I got all my friends on there. So well, you know, let it, me tell you something. I mean, pop, maybe not you, but for me, we spent a lot of other people's money on that album. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I remember you told the me, end of the big budgets. <laughs> whenever I tell people, they go, well, how'd you start your touring career without? So, well, let's go a little bit farther back because when I really first saw the world playing music, that's was with Gilby Clark, because I remember, you know, I remember flying all the way to Japan just for two or three songs for me just to hang out with you and, and yeah. do a little bit of a promotion tour. Like I said, I, I think that was called the Ryan's vacation tour. <laughs> oh, I gained weight. Oh yeah. I gained weight on that tour. Cause, cause that's where I, that's where I discovered that record company people wanted you to order more so they could fulfill their budget for the next act. So they would be like saying, yeah, do you want an appetizer? Of course. Oh yeah. And would you want, a, of course, what's your main course and a dessert and an after drink and an after and party. And to take home. Yeah. <laughs> Back to the hotel. <laughs> wow. I don't even think we went back to the hotel. Uh, there was no, <laughs> no, exactly. We'll just exactly. order room service on them. But uh, yeah, I remember yeah, that. That was, that was the promo tour, right? That was the first promo tour. Yep. That was the first time I was yep. actually able to go to a lot of places in Europe and yeah. in Japan and stuff like that. But then we eventually went down uh, probably one of the uh, most Beatlemania-esque moments of my uh, career it just and even just to be a fly on the wall, and I said, like I was riding the coattails long before Alice Cooper, folks. For those of you that are keeping track at home, but I we I went down uh, with the, with the Keela brothers, with Will and with um, uh, Mark, Mark D, and with uh, Big Earl, Susan Crane, remember and Susan Crane? <laughs> of course, we went down to uh, South America, and we opened up for a little band called Aerosmith. And at that point in time, I must tell you, Gilby Clark's album had just been released in South South America, and there were more fans around around the actual hotel that had been barricaded. By the way, folks, I'm not joking. I wish Vic, can you roll up some, uh, put up some footage of that? No, he doesn't have it. All right. So, <laughs> But I, there's somewhere, a race. <laughs> somewhere on YouTube, there's footage of a barricaded uh, Gilby Clark in Argentina. Now, yeah. how do you still remember that first trip down to Argentina and how it was? How did all those how did all those stars collide and, and turn out to what it was as far as a tour? Yeah. That was I mean, to be honest, Ryan, that was like a magical time. You know, I mean, when people always ask me, like, what's your favorite show you've ever done? You know, I mean. You know, the the GNR show, the Freddie Mercury tribute show is one of the greatest shows like I was ever a part of. But also that show of us opening for Aerosmith in Buenos Aires is one of my favorite moments in my life. You know, and it was it just it was a magical time. You know, I mean, for me, it was, you know, a, a, a lot of luck too. you know, coming off the GNR tour. You know, we have been down there quite a few times and, you know, selling out stadiums down there. And and like you said, you know, the, the fans outside the hotel it was just perfect timing. I can't, I was the first one who came after that. And, uh, you know, the, the single, even against my wishes was dead flowers, which Axel sang on. And, uh, it was just, it was just perfect timing. You know, it's like rock was just so, they were so hungry for it at that point. And remember not everybody went down there at that time. You know, it no. was, we, we were it. 
Well, I just remember at one point, you know, you told me, you looked at me and you said, dude, when we get off this plane, it's going to be chaos. And, you know, me and Mark D, going, yeah, me yeah, and Mark D looked at each other and goes, yeah, well, it'll be fine. And it was literally chaos. At one point, folks, there was a dog chasing Gilby down the street. <laughs> we, they, were, they were literally, we were in the van and there was motorcycles and a dog running as well. And I was like, oh man, that dog's a big fan. It's amazing. I don't know how he got the record, but man. <laughs> and, and I believe that was also where we learned about uh, saliva being oh, a, yeah. a term of endearment, even though I thought it was raining and, and but the, the sky was completely sunny. All of a sudden I feel all these droplets. I'm like, oh, it's going to rain. No, it's not. It's completely sunny. And it was people spitting. What is the deal with that, Gilby? Yeah, that I, I mean, I learned too, because, you know, we learned a hard lesson, but uh, that's it. That came from the Ramones. Um, you know, the Ramones were really the first rock band that went down to uh, South America and Argentina in general. And, uh, and they're the ones who taught them that. Didi was the one who was spitting on them, and so they'd spit back at them. And they really thought, you know, that is what they were supposed to do. That's what the bands loved. They didn't realize they really hated it. <laughs> you know, it was disgusting. I remember a shoe coming up on stage one night, and I was like, <laughs> what are they going to do with the other shoe? <laughs> <laughs> How are they walking around one shoe? <laughs> well, thank you, Aaron, for, for turning off Aerosmith. We were opening up for Aerosmith, and I yeah. actually think that on that tour, didn't Steven Tyler or Joe, someone got some spit in their mouth? Actually, it wasn't that tour. I think I told you a story where Slash, uh, I remember in the GNR tour, uh, Slash got hit in the mouth, and he he hurled. Like, it, it hit him ah. in he just got sick right on the spot. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I didn't. I just I got a little bit on the shoulders and stuff like that. But I do remember that the first show it was kind of like raining shoes and yeah. raining shoes, coins and spit. <laughs> and then the next, the very next show, what they had these huge industrial type fans. Right. Yeah. These, like, these big, these big wind fans. And they were, they would actually blow this, the saliva back into the audience. So yeah, someone had the great idea. Turn around the other way. <laughs> of course, we were sweating to death, but at least we weren't covering loogies. <laughs> well, we are moving on now from South America. I don't want to. Let's go back. Come on. Gary. How about a reunion too? Right there? So it is right. When I sit, when I sit here and I talk about it, I go, fuck, that's really cool. But I want to bring us up to present date because you are still, you know, carrying the torch of rock and roll. In fact, the, the, the newest album, you just started a, a big promotion blitz. You're having three singles come out. The first one that came out, can you tell us a little bit about it? And then we can talk about the new video and stuff that's with it. <laughs> so uh, the new song is called uh, Rock and Roll is Getting Louder. And to me, you know, everybody's been talking about, you know, rock and roll is dead. You know, it's, uh, it's you know, not as popular as it used to be and stuff. And, and some of that may be true. But, you know, to me, rock and roll is the underdog, man, where it should be. It's dirty. It's, it's you know, it's, it's supposed to be. And uh, so my this song is really just kind of about, hey, man, rock and roll is here. It, it's loud. It, it's alive. It's, it's whatever you really want it to be. And to me, the first single from the record should be just a, a loud guitar in your face, Stonesy kind of anthem. And that's what the song is. So when you did the video for it, um, I, I, you know, because I know that in your in your current 
touring band. You you have TPF, don't you have Troy Patrick Farrell? Yeah, yeah, you got Troy, EJ yes. EJ Kirsch. So I, I see a couple guys in the band. I see EJ Kirsch in the band. Who was who played drums in the video? Who was that? Well, uh, well, uh, in the video is actually Jimmy Deanda played drums uh, right. because Troy Troy uh, was getting married uh, like the next day from when we did the video. I gotcha. But uh, actually on the record is Kenny Aronoff uh, played drums on the record and uh, Muddy played bass on the record. All so right. it's kind of strange because what's played on the record and what's on the video are actually two different things. Dude, I, you know all these names and you say them with first name basis and I know exactly who you think, you know, who you're saying. Oh, Muddy, <laughs> is it Muddy Stardust? Is it, is it what? I'm the one that started the Stardust thing as a joke. Really? He's <laughs> but kept his, with his, it. His name is Mark Dutton, uh, but his nickname has always been Muddy. He's kind of like a first name guy, Muddy. But yeah, Muddy Dutton or Muddy Stardust. We it's kind of played you know, in Burning Tree. Amazing yeah. bass player. Always had a bass with him because guess what? He traveled with the bass in his trunk. And it was yeah. a short scale bass. I remember it like it was yesterday, man. But not a case. <laughs> and he he is actually another lost angel as well. So okay, so they played on the track. But when yeah. you go and check out the video, which is available, don't be switching to it right now, folks. All right, we're in the middle of a podcast. <laughs> Wait till we're done. You are watching in the trenches with Ryan Roxy. We have our special guest Gilby Clark. And um, so, what I want you to do though is imagine this video unless we have a little clip of it and we can talk about some of the guest stars that are in that video because it's a bunch of old friends and some guys yes. that you've played with for years and was that on purpose or did you just uh, needed some extras what how did that work out is <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of both right but what it was was i i had this idea and I stole the, I don't know if, if you noticed, but the very end thing I stole from Pulp Fiction. I got um, that. Yeah. Good got man. That right good away. man. Um, so I wanted to be, it to kind of be a journey. You know, I'm searching for something. I have this photograph and, you know, you don't know what it is. Is it, a, you know, a person I'm looking for? You know, is it a thing? What is it that I'm looking for? So I'm going to like all my favorite places. You know, I go, I go to a bar. I go to a cigar store. I go to a guitar store. I go to a record store. And, and then the last one, I go to a pawn shop shop. And um, so when we were filming it, we really just thought I'd call these places that, that I know and let me film. I just called the person, hey, man, you know, you, you own the place. You, can you be the person I hand the photograph to? And at first they were like, yeah, but then, you know, Hollywood, you think everybody wanted to be an actor, but people started getting weird. Like, oh, I don't want to do that. And so oh, I had that on the spot. I called Teddy and Teddy called, came down and he did the very first uh, uh, cameo spot. And then it, you know, it triggered. Then after that, we got Slim Jim Phantom. Uh, we got uh, Tammy Down. Uh, yeah. We got my good buddy, uh, Jimmy Harold from Hillbilly Harold. And in nice. uh, uh, Tammy, of course, we got good old Tammy yeah. is at the very end. He's the pawn shop owner. Um, actually, Billy Gibbons was supposed to be the pawn shop owner, but uh, it was right when the, all this was starting the, uh, uh, the pandemic, and yeah. he he couldn't get uh, he couldn't get to town. He was stuck in Houston. Ah, bummer, bummer. Well, I'm sure he was, you know, probably complaining about a gig somewhere. <laughs> I can't believe it. I got you got a gig. You got a gig, Teddy. <laughs> but just so you guys know who we're talking about and put things in context, yes. Teddy Zigzag is probably one of the greatest uh, keyboardists, uh, organs, organ players, and showmen. Uh, yes. uh, you know, behind the keys because because. 
when you play with Teddy Zigzag, you take the whole package. And uh, you, you've had Teddy play. You played with Teddy for years in Alice. I played with him in Alice. I played with him in Roxy 77. And I played with him in your bands and in, in a bunch of your bands. Wasn't, was, was Teddy in Colonel Parker as well? Teddy yes, he and was. Slim, yeah, Teddy was. Slim Jim Phantom as well. Yeah. All right. So see, we are bringing everybody back together <laughs> and you brought them all into this the only person we're missing in that video, I think, is Dean Clark, which is Gilby's brother. Did he not make a, a cameo in that one? <laughs> yeah, I know. He's he's everywhere else we're around, isn't he? <laughs> so um, this new single, I know it's out right now, um, but when is the next single or the actual album? And what is the album title? And tell us about that when it's coming out. So the, the name of the record is The Gospel Truth. And that's actually one of the songs on the record too. So that's going to be the next single. And that's actually coming out soon. That's uh, June 29th. The next single is going to come out. And we're going to follow it up with the video. You know, this. Um, I'm sure you know more than anybody, Ryan, this new way of doing things, you know, you got to kind of, milk it with a single, a video, a, a, a lyric video, just kind of milk things along. Cause oh, once wow, the record's that. out, that's the end of it. So, you know, we want to just kind of put out a few singles. I think we're going to do three and then the out, al- the full album will follow probably the end of the summer. Yeah. I, I am working on now my 10th lyric video for my solo album <laughs> because each, <laughs> each song has had an actual, uh, each song has had an actual single release because you were exactly right. Back in the yeah. old days, you put, you work your life to put something out and all of a sudden in, you know, a month people are like, Oh, well, what has he done lately? It's like, What? Yeah, I know, I know. Isn't so that crazy. I, I definitely have paced it out. Maybe I was early on that, but I was. I, I did make a commitment from the beginning to put a lyric out, a video out for each and every song. So you know, yeah, gives it a little bit idea. of longevity as well. I mean, I know that you guys just did one of the Monsters of Rock Cruise live shows, and that actually yeah. sounded really good. I, in fact, that was what actually I, I heard it, and I said, "Damn, that sounds really good." I want to. Maybe Gilby would be interested in coming on in the trenches. We can talk a little bit about that. How have you done other uh, Monsters of Rock cruises before? Or how did that all work out? Never. No. <laughs> I've never done one. Uh, I think how it came about was because Jimmy DeAnda has uh, done a couple live shows with me uh, when, when Troy wasn't available. And Jimmy has worked with the Monsters of Rock cruise people quite a bit. So uh, Bullet Boys uh, did the first one. And then they were asking around, you know, who'd like to do them. And so we were kind of at the beginning of that. But to be honest, when I heard it, it was a little messy, the sound. Like, I love the visual effects, but it wasn't the band. I know the band sounded good. I I just saw them live, like, maybe a month or two before. So we did have to work with them a little bit on the sound to try to get it. And, you know, of course, I'm still picky. I'm so, oh, we could have fixed this. But, <laughs> but but it was good. I mean, the thing about my band is we're simple. You know, every, you know, since you haven't been in the band, I only have one guitar now. So Well, that's the know, one thing you said. You said, you said, you know, it needs another guitar. I said, you know what? It sounded great with just, with, with oh, just you. you holding it all down. Are you still... Uh, are you still gravitating toward the Voxes or have you moved on to more of the modeling amps or are you going back to Marshall or is it some sort of hybrid of all of them? <laughs> it's a little bit of a hybrid. Yeah. I don't do the modeling amps. I'm still a, you know, a tube amp guy. Right. Um, 
I have a, I have a, I have a couple, you know I mean? I still have my marshals, but uh, it depends on the show really. And like, you know, how loud I can be. Um, I've, I've been uh, working with Vox quite a bit actually the last couple of years and I have a new amp by them. That's uh, really good. It really sounds like my old Voxes. Uh, but that day was actually my match lists, um, which is basically just a Vox. They're, uh, you know, yeah, EL uh, uh, 84s. Yeah. I, I really like it. It's a 30 watts. So it kind of keeps my, my volume under control, but uh, <laughs> yeah, that's what I use that day. I have a Friedman, too, which I really like, you know, I mean, there's, you know, in this boutique world, there's so many great new amps, but yeah, I haven't been a modeling guy. I mean, I know you still play Marshall's live too. And I, I, I still like the live amp. I do. But this last tour, everybody had made the jump because we brought a frigging castle, a castle <laughs> in 2019. <laughs> Hopefully it'll still be erected in 2020 uh, at one point, but there's a castle on stage. because so There's not even enough room for a backline of amps. So of course I have yeah. my go-to Marshall half stack. That's always there at the ready, but pretty much everybody has uh, gone mm-hmm. to a lot of the Kemper and, and, yeah. and of course we have, a, it, it does a, matter a lot if you have a sound technician that gets it and understands it can work with it so you're right i mean as far as i played the campers like i've recorded with the campers i think they're fantastic i mean you know to be honest up until till the camper i really hated them but once you know i got got my hands on one and got to play one i go wow you know these, these really are incredible and you know they have that feel of that live amp feel you know so they're they're pretty nice do you still have um i know there's a very famous les paul that you played all throughout the time that we played together during the pawn shop era uh, we just call i just called it the burnt les paul i don't know if it has another, it, another name for it but i mean luckily the one good thing about playing with gilby clark folks is that uh, he's very generous with letting and you borrow his guitars. So I played a lot of your cool guitars. Um, do you still have that burnt Les Paul? And what's the story Absolutely. of that guitar? Just if you could tell the quick story of that guitar, it was a great one. I, I have to be very gentle when I tell this story because uh, the person who burnt my Les Paul is Elwood. And uh, Elwood uh, is actually went was my tech and went from me to uh, Billy Gibbons. And uh, Elwood, I had this brand new Les Paul. It was a, a tobacco sunburst. And it really played great. It sounded great. But man, it was just too shiny for me. I don't know. Something about it just irritated me. So I wouldn't play it. And Elwood would go, why don't you play this guitar? It sounds great. And I go, yeah, it ain't me. And one day I came up, he goes, hey, check out what I did to your guitar. And and I looked and it was, you know, he, it is what it is. He burnt it. He lit it on fire like four times. And, and I went, at first I went, what did you... Hey, you know, that actually looks kind of cool. <laughs> I mean, most guitar players would freak out, you know, by somebody burning their last ball. But I was never going to play it until he did that. But, yeah, I still have it. It's still a great sounding guitar. I, it's stock. It's completely stock. You know, I never changed it. And to be honest with you, that was a little bit before relicking became relicking, uh, yeah. be, became <laughs> in vogue and became really. But luckily now we have a guy in, that we both know that we both use, Billy Rowe from Rock and Roll Billy Relics. Rowe, and I know that you've had a, an actual uh, Rock and Roll Relics guitar come out at one point, right? And is that. Yeah, I did. All right. So Billy's yeah, yeah, great. So, so Billy, yeah, Billy had been actually before that had been painting a lot of my guitars, you know, like uh, I, um, 
you know, I'm, you know, you're a Gibson guy too. You know, sometimes yeah. you get a guitar from them, and once again, it's a little too shiny or or sunburst. I don't too know much why they nitrous cellulose. What is it? Nitrous cellulose. I just lacquer. lacquer. Yeah. yeah, I just don't understand why they keep selling me sending me sunburst guitars. Send I never them to played me. a sun. I'll play it. I love them. Are you kidding me? Yeah, well, yeah I know. I, I'm you know, I, I like black. I like gold. You know, or burnt. So mm. there you go. That's my this is my Ace Freely Dream guitar, folks. This is the one I love. <laughs> Right. Zebra pickups are beautiful. Thank you. But uh, Thank yeah, you so much. I'd send him the Billy and he would, you know, do it, you know, make it a gold top or like you said, just relic it. And then uh, I, I wanted a telly, but I wanted to do something kind of in the vein of like Wayne Kramer. I loved his strat that he had with like the American flag. So we kind of came up with the idea of, uh, you know, it's it's a like a black American flag in uh, in that's the uh, the Telecaster that that I have that Billy made. That's awesome. For those of you that haven't checked out, I, I actually have a cataloged uh, interview with Billy Rowe from Rock and Roll Relics that we we talked before. I'm going to put it out. It, we haven't released it yet of In the Trenches podcast, so stay tuned, folks, because you will get to know a little bit more about Billy Rowe. But he. Uh, Billy's you, actually painting the, this motor. I'm, I'm actually built. Sorry to interrupt you, Ryan, but no I'm uh, building a motorcycle for George Lynch right now. And Billy uh, is painting that motorcycle right now as we speak. <laughs> Dude, does it have a carton of milk on it? Because honestly, <laughs> when I toured with Doc, and this is a true story, George Lynch will like, back it up. He was so into working out, like you can see how oh, buff yeah. I am. He would drink a carton of milk on stage. There was no, there was no vodka cranberry, no vodka soda. It was a carton of milk. And it, so is, I, I don't know, you're making a motorcycle for him. Uh, and obviously Billy Rowe, it, it's, it's very cool how uh, we all circulate still in the same circles. Cause we all have one person that we know from another band that we've even played with and stuff. And when you mentioned Billy Gibbons, I'm thinking, man, has Gilby ever played with Billy? And I think you have. I think you played yeah, in a band with, with with Kings of Chaos, right? Was that? Yeah. Oh, wow. And what was that yeah, about? Yeah, exactly. How did that come I about? I mean, well, so Kings of Chaos is really Matt Sorum's project. You know, he um, he wanted to do, you, you remember they were doing the Camp Freddy project uh, at the, uh, I think it was the Roxy. Yeah, they stole and our set list. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, the, the international they, they set did. list. They, they came down to the cat they, club and they, just they stole the it. set list. <laughs> so they, uh, it, Camp Freddy kind of split up into two camps. Uh, one is Royal Machines and one is Kings of Chaos. And a lot of us are actually in both bands. Uh, uh -huh. it, the only difference is uh, Royal Machines is more of like a corporate band where they really don't do hard ticket sales, where Kings of Chaos will, you know, play casinos and, you know, uh, 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 sheds and, and whatever, you know, whatever it gets booked on. But Kings of Chaos is great, Ryan. What's really nice about it for me is, um, I mean, you know, we all didn't start out in cover bands. You know, we were in original bands from day one. I never learned songs unless I was in the band. So it's taught me to, you know, really learn other people's material, you know, whether it's Aerosmith or, you know, the oh, yeah. cult or Sammy Agar, or, uh, yeah, Glenn Hughes, all those wonderful people. But yep. Uh, yeah, so that's what that is. And it, it's been fun. But Billy, um, I, I got to tell you, and you're going to love this because you're a huge fan, too. But uh, Robin Zander does a lot of Kings of Chaos gigs. And, you know, he's our favorite singer in the world. And we did a show with Robin and Billy. It's like my favorite guitar player, my favorite singer. I really was in heaven. 
Man, I guess if I interview every single one of you, I, I, it'll be undeniable to be an honorary member of that band at one point. <laughs> because I, I say it's the international set list, folks, because there is an international set list. Anytime you see any sort of group that has a bunch of musicians in it, they will definitely play their big hits from their band. Like if, if David Coverdale's in the band, you'll be hearing some White Snake songs. But I guarantee you also that you'll be hearing, you know. Surrender. 20th century boy. <laughs> Anything that Joseph would have played at the cat house at that point, you'll hear a sweet song, perhaps, you know, yeah. some sort of T-Rex song, you know, 20th century boy is definitely uh, the, I, I should have publishing on that song at this point. I played it so many times. <laughs> <laughs> so shit, Gilby. I mean, I can't tell you how thankful I am for you being on the show and just, and, and just spending your time with us. I want people to be able to get in touch with you that obviously will hear about this interview afterwards. And we're all in this social media game right now. What is your social media of choice? Do you have? Uh, I'm actually, you know, Ryan, I'm terrible on Facebook to this day. I've never actually answered my messages on Facebook. <laughs> people, are, people are I, messaging you. <laughs> Trust me. I know. I, I, I don't know what they're asking. But I don't know what that button does. I mean, it's so funny because I'm very computer literate. You know, I have Pro Tools and, and have had it forever. But, man, I'm terrible on Facebook. So uh, Gilby GTR, which is Gilby Guitar on uh, Instagram. I, I love Instagram. Instagram is great. So I use that button where it goes to Twitter and it goes to Facebook and all that kind of stuff. But I definitely start with uh, Instagram. So And there they are to uh, my are. left. Yeah, but I'm just I'm just doing it for the people that might be listening on Apple or Spotify or Stitcher or any of the Audible platforms. Uh, make your way on over to the YouTube channel, the Ryan Roxy official YouTube channel, and you can just click on that subscribe button to In the Trenches with Ryan Roxy. Of course, our guest is Gilby Clark here, and those were all his social medias. So, uh, folks, if you want to start maybe putting up a question or two, we could do that yeah, for a couple minutes. Time, right? But we got a couple minutes. Yeah, I, mean, I haven't gotten called in for dinner. I mean, I'm recording this from Sweden. So I'm basically starting my evening already. You're just waking up. I, I really appreciate people from the uh, West Coast in Los Angeles, California, everywhere that wake up so early to listen to the live streams. And of course, Gilby for making it on there so early and starting. So I'm a, I'm so fan of you, Gilby. I'm so fan of you as well. Thank you, Ryan Roxy, for this great show. Great. That's not so much a question as it is a statement, but thank you very much, Celine. I we'll love take it. That, <laughs> we'll definitely take it, man. Do you now what is the plans uh immediately for you know until the end of the year? Have gigs yeah. I, have we gotten that that weird postponed word? Are they well are they no, we can't we had a, it's it really sucks. We had a, a quite a few uh, solo shows. Uh, we had a run in Texas we were going to do that got canceled. Uh, one of them was a big motorcycle show too. And uh, we had a, a, a really good run of Kings of Chaos dates. Actually, I think they're happening like supposed to happen now between June and July. And they all got, some of them got postponed, uh, but most of them got canceled. But I just found out that we have a July 11th show that is still happening in uh, Canyonville, Oregon with Kings of Chaos. Uh, I believe it's a casino, but uh, I think we're going to try it. Uh, you know, we're going to see if, uh, if we can do it. And, um, you know, obviously with all the new uh, restrictions, but uh, yeah, I think that's probably going to be my first show out. Canyonville, Oregon. 
If there is any, if there's any law, of course I have. I've been there. Oh. I've, if this is casino and, it, and it's <laughs> open for business, Alice Cooper has played it. Trust me. We were early on that, man. I'm telling you, we played casinos when, when people were sort of poking fun of it, going, what are you doing playing casinos? And I've always said the same thing because you know why? It's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, everywhere else in the world. It's the same yeah. sort of scene. So, you know, we all know the money days, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, but, you know, yeah, I got to have those other gigs to fill up a tour. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Ryan, we got a question there. What is that? What, what was the first band y'all were in together? What's up, John? Candy. That would be that would have been candy and and I think we got the gig because well I got the gig because I had the same uh, style leather jacket as they did I wore the same uh, was it there's the picture again um, Gilby obviously doing his best Chrissy Hind impression uh, if, if, you, if you can stick on <laughs> that picture we've got John the Hawk Schubert on the right hand side who is one of the best visual timekeepers you will ever know um, I'm I'm right next beside beside him with some sort of orbit of a, I think my hair has its own gravitational system <laughs> that's a great haircut man let me tell you <laughs> it's one big isn't it and then uh, the, over to the holy oh crap. that's great do you oh remember that picture absolutely oh. absolutely Absolutely. Tell man. us that what happened that Halloween. night. Is that a cat house or, or was it the central? Or I want to say what? it happened at the Viper Room, which, but at that time Viper it was room, called this. It was called the Central, right? Yeah. It was, and what what happened that night? Do you remember what happened that night? I, no, I, that I won't. <laughs> I remember that those. I, I can tell that those Venetian blinds are your old apartment on. I think it was Melrose Place, somewhere around there. You lived right around there. Oh, that's right. That's <laughs> my pad. Yeah, off of Melrose Place. That's right, Ryan. Good job. <laughs> How's that for a memory? But that is us uh, doing. Uh, I guess white face. Is that still acceptable in 2020? I mean, I don't even know. Is kiss face even okay to do in 2020? I'm worried. I don't know. I, I would be careful if I was them. <laughs> Well, the the good news is that Gilby still can go hatless and me, I have to every once in a while, you know, unless I really do the hair up and put every strand in its right place. I'm, I'm wearing a headband. I'm Brett Michael has seen it before Brett Michaels. Brett Michaels was early on the headband. Hey, Gilby, what is the white SG custom you play? Was cool to see that at NAM. There it is. What oh, is the story about so that? Ryan, I've been playing an SG lately. I've been having a lot of fun with it. It's, uh, it's actually... This is interesting. It's actually a Les Paul. It's a 61 Les Paul. Uh, you know, there were a few years there where they actually did not make a traditional Les Paul, they called it, Les Paul shape. They called, yeah, they, it, they were, S, they it, called it the Les Paul, but, but Les Paul himself was bummed about it because he, yeah. he didn't like the shape, right? But it, it, was, this, it yeah. was the shape of an SG, what we know. Do you know what SG stands for? Uh, solid guitar. Standard guitar. I thought. Oh my God. Maybe really? I don't I know. Was... You know what? You might be right. I, I'm the one that worked for Gibson, but you know. No, I, think it is, I don't know. I, I think it, it was solid, solid guitar. But uh, yeah, it's right. a 61 uh, Les Paul custom. Uh, it's white, and I took the pickup covers off. But uh, you got to really take fun. the pickup. I, really I always say, you know what? I'm telling you. Look, I have a I have an ES335 here. Doesn't uh, it look better without the pick guard? I, yes. I hate pick guards. I think you were the me one too. that taught me that. You know what? You've taught yeah. me a lot of, of things of how to do it with rock and roll, but then you've gone you've gone back on a few of them. And I, I have a bone to pick with you about that. There All was right, a, I'm ready. Let me one, take it. Okay. At one point, you told me, and I have to this day stayed true to it, you said that watches are not rock and roll. 
don't ever I wear did. a watch on stage. And I've True. seen you wear a watch on stage, but I never do ever since I only, I wear a red, white, and blue <laughs> wristband still, but hell, I don't wear a watch. Yeah. yeah but, you know what, Ryan, you're right. <laughs> and you busted me. <laughs> Good. I got you on one. <laughs> the other it's, thing we rock and roll should have no time, man. Come on. We, you know, we should, we, right. we shouldn't, I, it was, it was a gift. I, you know, sometimes <laughs> we got to be good husbands. I'm telling you, man, I, I, and, and then taking out the pit guards, right. that was either yeah. between, it was, I got a little bit of that, mostly from you, but I think a little bit of Slash Yeah, yeah, yeah. Too. I've never had pick guards. I, I, I hate those pick guards on there, man. They drive me well, insane. Slash used to always take his pick guards off the Les Paul, and I thought that was cool as well, too. But uh, the other, the most famous quote that, oh, look at Brian Klesmaski. Yeah, hey, tequila brother. Come on. <laughs> when will we get to see the two of you playing together again? I would love to see that. We're in the same country together. <laughs> yeah. Or or not, or when or when one of us is in town. Because the last time I think um you were in Stockholm, I came up and played with you guys. You yeah, know? That's true. When you did yeah. a tour. So yeah, we we'll definitely make something happen, Bri. In fact, you know, every time you guys play with Alice in LA, I'm never in town. I, I've I've missed it so many times. I'm always so bummed. So I, I mean, I love Dallas, man. Those songs are so great. Absolutely. Absolutely. Gilby, what's the story about Frank Black <laughs> being on Pawn Shop Guitars? What is the story about Frank? Because at that point, Frank Black folks from the Pixies, well, maybe I'll let yes. Gilby tell the story and uh, why, you know, what's his involvement with it, with your first record? Well, um, we were, we actually friends. Um, it, it, you know, it's funny, Ryan, you know why we were friends? Because we both use Vox AC 30s. <laughs> Um, Always but it, and, uh, and actually what's funny is this is a uh, pre GNR. Um, cause I, like I said, I, I'd had AC thirties back then. I never used them in, in candy and stuff cause we were marshals and stuff. But, uh, uh, I was in a studio, I was working a studio and the Pixies were recording and he had this great AC 30 and we just started talking and we became friends. And through the years he called me one day and he said, uh, he goes, hey, I have a gig at McCabe's Guitar Shop. You know, they used to do acoustic guitar performances. He goes, and my tech can't do it. He goes, I know you're a guitar player and you're not a tech, but man, I, I'm desperate. I know you know guitars. Would you consider teching for me? And I go, yeah. I go, oh my God, that'd be so much fun. So I did it. I, I, I tech for, for, uh, for Black Francis, Frank Black, whatever you want to call him, right. uh, at McCabe's. And he paid me. And, and granted, we're probably talking, you know, 50 bucks. 80. Yeah. 88. I, I, late eighties. It definitely wasn't the nineties. Uh, it be paid me $250. Oh to shit. I would have done that. Yeah. Fuck yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I, I was expecting like 40 <laughs> and I was just we like, worked at we were both sound men at this place called Madam Wong. So 50 bucks for us was like, yeah, that's the going rate. Back oh then. my God. <laughs> yeah. He paid me $250. I never forget that. But anyway, we became friends. And then when, uh, you know, I got the solo deal, you know, I was making my list and stuff and, and he was available and, He's so funny because when he came to track the song, uh, he played on Jail Guitar Doors. He brought uh, um, those Mesa Boogie, uh, what are those things called? The the the, uh, the high gain ones everybody uses. Rectifier. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, I don't think yeesh. I've ever even seen one before. You know, yeah, we were so Marshall yeah. and Vox and kind Fender. Of old school. And he brought one of those in and he plugged in. I was like, oh, my God. It's like the what a biggest game. sound I've ever heard in my life. And <laughs> so much bottom and gain and all this. But, but he's such a great sport. And... And, and a fun guy. I haven't seen him in so long, but man, I, I, I love him. Wow. Okay. Talking about famous people that you've guitar teched for. I'm I've guitar teched for Joe Eli. 
You know, wow. remember Joe, Joe, L-E, oh, L-E, yeah, Joe, yeah. Joe, Joe, yeah. yeah, but here's the problem. He handed me a 12 string Rickenbacker to tune. Ah, I'm, I'm, I'm a mediocre at best with six strings to get in tune. Don't, don't give me trouble. Don't give me 12 strings of that, man. So one, one more question we got from the chat group. If you guys are just listening to us on a audible platform, we do have a, a live chat that's going on. So some of the questions are coming from there, but uh, you were listening to uh, in the trenches with Ryan Roxy. Our guest today is Gilby Clark, a guitarist, a singer, singer, songwriter, producer, all around good guy, but mostly a motorcycle cowboy. And this question is <laughs> Gilby, are you strictly Harleys or all types of bikes with your new shop? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a Harley guy, Ryan. I mean, I, I really, uh, am a vintage Harley guy. Like I, I have a knucklehead, I have a pan head and a shovel. Uh, and I also have a, a new, a road King for the long trips, but, uh, you don't know what that is, but those are I was all going to say, this just sound like band members. The doom. <laughs> sound like a drummer. Pan-head, knucklehead. <laughs> I got a you knuckle. know, it's funny because I have a patch like on my vest and it says knucklehead. It's my bike. But man, when people don't know what that is. You're a knucklehead. Yeah. <laughs> I'm with knucklehead. Go, My dad called me that, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, man. So okay, and uh, now I'm off track because I want to talk. I want to talk guitars, but then we got motorcycle talks. But you are a motorcycle cowboy, and I remember playing that. And even to this day, I could. I mean, listen. Ah, it's it's ingrained oh, in dude, our you heads. Want me to? You want me to? Right, hold on. Let me see if I. I don't know. I know you're in the studio right now. <laughs> Oh, wow, that's a little bit loud. Yeah. Yeah, but so. Yeah. We took a lot of songs nice. from uh, Jumpin' Jack Flash, I think. It, it's very much so. <laughs> it, and when I say everything comes back to, you know, full circle, the new single that you put, the rock and roll is getting louder. It has a little bit of that stonesy, Very stonesy. jumping Jack yeah. Flash type of vibe, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I was going for, um, you know, it's interesting. I mean, you know, the songs are songs, you know, they, they do kind of like write themselves, but I started with the, the bass riff really. And I just didn't want to do the same thing. You know, what I really want to do on this record is not like layer, layer, layer. Like what I loved about bands like the Beatles and stones is the bass didn't just, double the guitar the bass was its own instrument so Absolutely. that's what's cool about a lot of the tracks on the record is the bass is doing completely different what the guitars are doing and if there is a left and right guitar they're doing different things so i really wanted to simplify but make the parts mean more well i really loved playing with will efforts who was a tequila brother i played with him again yes. in dad's porno mag uh, eventually stefan played bass as well stefan adika um for those of you keeping track at home Yes, I did mention <laughs> Stefan Adika's name. By by contract, I have to do it at least once every three podcasts. <laughs> but, I can't uh, believe you don't have a logo going across. <laughs> no, it was up to him. Uh, so the thing is, I uh, had Will Efforts as a bass player, but I got him, sort of hijacked him a little bit from, um, from the Tequila Brothers. And Will was yeah. one of those types of bass players. All of a sudden, you know, immediately when you play bass left-handed, you're cooler than everybody else because you yeah. immediately equate... Uh, Paul McCartney. But to this day, you've taught me one of my favorite quotes, and I use it constantly in the studio to everyone's chagrin, especially Chuck Garrick's. But what happens <laughs> when we're working on on, on a song and, and everybody's going and the bass player comes in, he's like, all right, it's ready to put his, ta- put his tone down, this and that. You just look at him, you go, bass is bass. <laughs> 
Faces based. That was your face. That was the quote that you gave me one time because I was like trying to get, should we do this? Because Roxy. Faces based. Faces based. And I used it to this friggin' day. So, Gilby, here's the next question for Celine. Do you play bass? Everybody yeah, does. Everybody <laughs> does. Maybe too much. <laughs> I actually, you know what I have, Brian? I have a Hofner. I, I, I love playing a Hofner bass. I've been, I found these thick rubber picks. Wait, I wonder if I have one around here. Oh, okay. Cool. Is oh, it like okay, a Paul McCartney you, pick you, or something? We're going to show you a new trick. Here they are. Can you see that? Yes, I can. What is that? Okay, so, so that's a rubber pick. It's It's rubber. All right. right. And uh, the name one of I your solo albums. Is, <laughs> exactly. So what I do is uh, I use the rubber pick to play bass and it actually sounds like fingers, you know, because I, I love the sound of fingers. But, man, I cannot play finger bass for, for crap. So uh, I, I use this pick with with the Hofner and it, and it does. It really does sound like. Doom, 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 but without that pick uh, pickup noise, you know, when you hit the, the string against the pick, right. the pick up, it goes click, click, click. Oh my god, it drives me insane. Well, you've made you've uh, made records and you've played with some of the you know the most well known bass players in the world and most identifiable sort of bass tones in the world if you really want to break it down. But because Duff himself on that Appetite oh, for Destruction yeah. album, that tone is was that pick or was that fingers or what was that and what was it every That's night on stage? And, and you know what's interesting about uh, Duff's tone? And I got to tell you, man, I, I you know when I first joined the band, I didn't really get it. I mean, I got it on the record, but you know, there's no low end. You know, and his tone, there's no low end. It's almost like a guitar, but he doesn't play like a guitar player. He plays like a bass player. And it's so melodic. It, it really, to me, it grew to like a McCartney kind of thing. A you bit, know, the way yeah. he was so melodic in his playing. Mm. And he found his place. You know, he wasn't just going, dum, 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 you know, but he, uh, like I said, just all those notes, it's just very melodic. It reminded me of McCartney. I think the album, the the, the book that you turned me on to with McCartney was, uh, or the, about the Beatles, the best one to to read was, I think it was you that, or it was either the you love, or the Love You Make. The Love You Make, exactly. That book. that great was book. a great book to because you really did understand. There was another one that came off uh, a couple years later by uh, Jeffrey uh, Geoff Emmerich. Jeff Emmerich. And Jeff Emmerich. Yeah, and he wrote he wrote a book as well about the Beatles, and it really was uh, inspiring and stuff. So there you yeah. go. Was well, it the Jeff Emmerich book more about the like recording and stuff? It is about the recording process and how yeah, he yeah, would yeah. they would close down the studio and and basically it would just be Paul McCartney listening to the tracks, coming up with his bass parts, which usually is weird because you, bass and drums sort of go together, but he would wait yeah. until the drums were done and then he and, and started the guitar was done, so he could say, well, how can I move this around and move the right notes? So obviously, yeah. have you ever gotten to jam with any of the any of the Beatles? No, no, never, okay. never, right. no, no. I've never, I've never even met a beetle. <laughs> I'd uh, love to. Yeah. Have I, you met a beetle? I, I took a pee next to uh, the drummer of the Rolling Stones, Charlie Watts. At, at wow. The, yeah. At one time, we we I I've peed next. That, that's another weird thing about me that I've done. I've, I've peed next to a lot of famous people. I mean, me and you have peed next so, to so each other many stalk times. Them when they go in the bathroom, <laughs> I was totally not stalking him. But I peed next to <laughs> the drummer of the Rolling Stones, Charlie Watts, and Hugh Hefner at the Roxy. That's pretty rock and roll. You know? Wow, that who's, is very rock. Who's your most famous P next to guy? 
Wow. Oh, okay. And Tommy Lee. I peed next to Tommy Lee at the LA Forum Club. And you know what he did to me? He goes, what's up, dude? Exactly what you think. <laughs> while, he's, while he's in the middle, midstream. <laughs> that was probably, you know, most of my conversations with the two-year run that we did with Motley Crue and Alice Cooper was mostly like, what's up, dude? What's up, dude? <laughs> but you, you played in a band with Tommy as well. You played in yeah. uh, as far as um, what was, how did that, all come about because that was a again i'm i'm the the name uh, what was it rock and roll rockstar rockstar supernova rockstar supernova yeah i hated that name and, and but uh <laughs> what ended up happening with that whole project because it seemed like a a perfect storm that was you know ready to yeah, go it was just quick it really was a, you know a tv show a record a tour and boom you know that was it and that was really all it was intended to be i mean it uh you know, in the beginning, it, it's matter of fact. Oh my God, Ryan! I just remembered something. You were involved in the beginning process of that, did you or didn't you? Didn't we audition for when they did the first season to be the backup band to be the sort of me, you, and, and the guys from the Black Crows, Johnny and uh, uh, Steve was, Gorman, right? And, yeah, and Teddy Zigzag was there again. As far yeah. as it, it, just like in your new video, I think it was the we call those guys all of us the usual suspects. We went in, and I'm not sure <laughs> who ended up being the backup band. I think it was ended up. No, being, no, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what happened. So let me. So check it out. So we did it and we actually, apparently here's what happened. We impressed the producer, Mark Burnett, who's gone on, you know, to produce Survivor, you know, million, everything. Yeah. Uh, uh, what do you call a reality TV show survivor and yeah. apprentice and all that stuff. But anyway, they, they really liked us. So when the next year came along to do the next show, I got a call from the producer and he goes, you know, we never forgot you guys. He goes, we really liked you, but we thought that having guys, you know, that kind of have a name would draw away from the singers because some of these singers are young and, you know, they're not amateurs, but, you know, they they haven't really developed yet. We th thought that the band might make them look small. So he goes, so that's why they went with more of like a, 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 a what do you call it, a, a, a studio kind of band. Not, I don't want to say faceless because they're not. They're, they no. were amazing. Musicians. I remember who got that gig, uh, Sasha, the bass player, who I played with in yeah. town, Bachman. I, you know, I, yeah. I had originally played with him and Mark Schulman and Tal Bachman. You see all this, all this stuff is just incestuous. Of, Isn't it crazy? That, well, that's <laughs> obviously I had, I had moved to uh, Sweden at that point during that second time. But I remember watching the show Rockstar Supernova from Sweden because it was a big yeah. show worldwide and stuff. And and again, another bass player that you got to play with, Jason Newstead. Um, yeah. That was, a, I mean... What's his style like? So, so here's what happened. So they they called me and they said, you know, you, we want to start a band. We want to start a band from fresh and then find a singer to join the band. There was actually talks of when they were doing Velvet Revolver before they actually found Scott Weiland that they were going to be the band, you know, to look for a singer. And, uh, and he said, well, you know, tell me who you would have in your perfect, you know, like all-star rock band. So I gave him a bunch of names. Like I gave him, you know, a good old buddy, Eric Singer and, you know, all, all kinds of, you know, People, you know, all of our friends and everything. usual suspects, the usual suspects. <laughs> but while that was happening, Tommy ran into Mark Burnett uh, in Malibu somewhere and he told him what was happening. And Tommy goes, oh, my God, I want to do it. <laughs> you know, you know, Yo, dude, dude, I'll do it. I want to do it. I'll do it. I'm there. <laughs> so Tommy came in and suddenly, you know, that storm that comes with Tommy came in oh, and, yeah. and uh you know, we were talking about bass players and Tommy immediately goes, man, Motley Crue, Guns N' Roses, we need Metallica, you know. And so they called That's Jason. That's a good idea, Jason. actually. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So Jason came aboard, you know, and uh, and there it was. What was hard, it, there was a lot of things that were good and a lot of things that were hard. Number one, 
uh, man, it, it's hard with three guys getting together to write new music. And we're very, Tommy and I are actually a lot on the same page. We're like, he loves cheap trick, you know, yeah. uh, uh, you know, the sweet he he's, but he also likes a lot of rap and, and, uh, you know, like urban kind of music. Uh, but Jason is just, you know, metal. He's heavy, really. I th- I thought he'd be more on the punk rock edge. Okay, I didn't know that. Not not at all. He's he's met like every one of his songs was metal. You know, right, it was right. uh you know a very riffy, just very metal. So it was hard. But they, we brought in Butch Walker to produce the record, and oh, Butch great. really kind of helped. You know, yeah. to I tell you the truth, it wasn't like my gig to produce it. Butch did a fantastic job, yeah. and uh, but yeah, it was really just intended as a TV show. Uh, you know, a tour and record, and, and boom, nobody for, got hurt. For those of you <laughs> musicians that are listening out there, whether you're watching. On YouTube or whether you're watching on Facebook or, you know, any other platform, all these names that we're saying, these are definite rabbit holes you can go down and learn a lot of information from. Because obviously Butch Walker's great. In fact, you know, my thing is like, if you don't like Cheap Chick, you probably won't be on my podcast. <laughs> you know, so. That's a good rule to go by. Yeah, I think so. I mean, how do, is, is a bit free, refreshing in the urinals with Ryan Roxy. I love that. You know now everybody's just bragging about who they peed next to. Who's, who's <laughs> started now who started that so doesn't it feel refreshing not to have one direct gnr question or a question about slash for a whole oh entire oh my god podcast. i didn't even know it's good job good and job. here's I, the thing i like your people we have both we have both played with slash in the same oh band god. but not at the same time so just so for those of you that are keeping score at home this is the guy that played on it's five o'clock somewhere I'm the guy that played on. <laughs> I'm going to do that. <laughs> yeah. I'm the guy that played on Ain't Life Grand. All right. He had Eric Dover singing. I had Rod Jackson singing. Oh, yeah. yeah. Great singing. Uh, you, you had. Oh, wait. Who did you have on bass? Didn't you have. Uh... Uh, well, Mike Inez played on the record. Uh, Mike Inez and Matt uh, Sorum played on the record, but the tour was Brian Tishy and James Lomenzo. All right. And we had, you know, we made that, I don't know about you, Ryan, but we made that whole record before Dover came along, like recorded it. it was he done. tells that story. He said, he goes, I had to write an album of lyrics with an entire album of music done. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it was done. Yeah, done. Like, and you know, Slash, you know, it it is what it is. (laughs) No, I know, but but Slash had some great riffs on that album. He had some great riffs on, on, uh, well, had some, I thought it was some of his best playing on Ain't Life Grand. Yeah, both records. Some really great guitar playing. Yeah. No doubt. Um, we had John, I just want to give our, our rhythm section some some cred as well because we had Johnny Gripark on bass and Matt Logg on the drums for that band. And I think Teddy Zigzag, being the ultimate politician that he was, probably played on both albums. Right? Yeah, he did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he definitely played on on the record I did. I'm sure he did on I yours. Love it. <laughs> well, for those of you that want to check out either album, there's obviously no competition at all. You can check out both of them. Neither of us will see any publishing from it. So go ahead. <laughs> There's Ann. I do get checks. I do. Damn it. Somehow I, I got They're small, but you know, because I actually I contributed. A, well, there's a song that's just I wrote uh, on that record myself, and I had a couple co-writes with them. So all right, don't tell me it's in a new Geico commercial, or I, I'm going to get rat envy now. Okay. So someone someone actually emailed me today and says, you know that rat is charting again because they're on an insurance yeah. commercial record. I said well, that's great for Bobby Blotzer. Because he probably doesn't have any publishing on it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Actually, Warren has uh, been playing in Kings of Chaos. Uh, like the guys. last shows we did, Warren Demartini was in it. 
There he is. There's there's someone that peed next to Ryan Roxy. Um, actually, you know what? No, actually, you know what? That's not just someone. That's Robbie Miller, and I have his pick today because he sent me his his official EP. So there you go. Take a smile, Robbie uh, Miller. Honest. There you go. Um, there was a question up that said, "Do you have any plans of writing some sort of biography? Or are you waiting for everyone to pass on before you, <laughs> before you do?" Well. Do I have any plans? No, but I mean, it has been brought up. You know, I've, I've had people approach me. I've had uh, publishing companies approach me. I just, uh, I'm, I'm not there yet. You know, you know, Ryan, it's, it's strange because, you know, Matt's got a book coming out soon and I kind of felt like the GNR thing has been covered well. And I know that there's more to my life than, than just GNR, but um, I don't know. At, at some point it might be fun. I mean, like, so we have some great stories exactly. about, you know, pre all that and, and after. Pre and post, yeah. Yeah, work with a lot of different people. They're good stories, I think, for musicians, you know, to hear these things of how some of us came up that, you know, aren't, you know, you know, I didn't learn play guitar, you know, in school or teacher. It's just playing, you know, the clubs and stuff. So, you know, maybe at some point it's definitely something in the back of my mind. I just, you know, we'll just start a start a podcast. We just don't go don't air a live stream the same time as me. And we're all good. (laughs) (laughs) Federock asks uh, Gilby, who's the artist you'd like to play with amongst those who you have never collaborated with? Well, wow, can, that's yeah. that's that, a beetle that's would be nice. I mean, thank you. You know, Ryan, good job. A beetle, yeah. I mean, Paul McCartney. I mean, his hit to me, his live band is phenomenal. I, I can't yeah. say how much I love, you know, that he's got, you know, you know, two guitars, you know, bass and drums, and he keeps it raw and they all sing. I, I love his band and I think he's still an incredible musician. We've played many Beatles songs together uh, on stage together in a band and, uh, you know, on stage. What is your favorite Beatles song to That's a play? hard one, man. You've covered I mean, a just few like ones. everything, my, 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 my favorites change, you know, like, a, you know, like a, I might like a, 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 a Ziggy Stardust by Bowie, you know, one, two or three months. And then later I, I changed to yeah. hang on to yourself, you know. True. So Beatles, um, it's a strange one. I know I, which I mean, one I, we've I really played like the God. most. I know which one we've both played the most. <laughs> you know? like, oh, oh my God, Elton Shelter. Yeah, we've all played that. We've played it a lot and probably haven't played it right once. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. It's, it's, but you have, maybe not well, me. Well, <laughs> no, because we never, every, whoever you jam with either plays, are we doing the Motley Crue version or are we doing the... You know? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, hey, Gilby, I'm going to wrap things up. I just want to thank you once more for coming on in the trenches, for all the people that have been hanging around the entire time. I've been watching you. I've been seeing, even though I can't really read with these uh, reader glasses on, I'm going to have to up my prescription pretty soon, but I've been seeing you've been very active i appreciate it uh gilby will you please one more time just tell the folks uh where to find you on social media for those of you listening on the audible platforms and we'll show them up on the screen yeah, so once again i'm really active on instagram which is gilby g-i-l-b-y g-t-r gilby g-t-r everything else on facebook and twitter is my name gilby clark clark's got an e and uh, there you go. They're all to my left. There you go. And how about next time uh, that you come on, we catch up a little bit more. Maybe it's some time that we're both in the same proximity of each other and hopefully on the, on the same stage at one point for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, like, I got to catch Alice again. I haven't seen it in so long. You know, I would love to see you guys. Next time, we'll, we'll, you know what? Just tell us when you're going to be in L.A. And then we'll, then that's when we'll put the actual L.A. date on sale. <laughs> 
There you go. <laughs> we were supposed you to. You got it. I'll work out that. <laughs> we, we were supposed to be playing the Hollywood Bowl the the, the night that all those uh, all the rioting and everything a couple of weeks ago. Oh, that, if, if, if things really? if we were back in the normal world where there is no normal world anymore, maybe no. we'll go to some sort of new normal. But uh, yeah, we were supposed to be playing the Hollywood Bowl, but uh, it's weird how things work out. But uh, yeah. either way, it's always good to talk to you, Gilby. And it's um, I'm, I'm glad that we, we were able to come on and, and sort of share a lot of these stories of what's happened over the years, because you tend to they sort of fuzz out. But then then, then you go, boom, yeah. I get it. You know, yeah. so another great yeah. quality chat. I pre- appreciate you guys uh, hanging out Thanks and supporting it. And uh, Gilby. Well, hey, man. Hang on for the line for a second while I, while I uh, sort of you got say my piece and stuff. If there's anything it, else you need to say to the crowd, please No, do. we're good, brother. You, you, you took care of it all, man. I really appreciate everybody tuning in, man. It's uh, definitely been fun. I had a big smile the whole time. Awesome, man. Well, we, our guest today has been Gilby Clark and of so many things. I don't even want to start giving, uh, releasing all his accolades. You'll just have to listen to the podcast once over. All those names that we drop, you're going to have to go down those rabbit holes as well. And anytime you want to uh, subscribe to our channel, please do so. It's uh, In the Trenches with Ryan Roxy. Hit that subscribe button. And everybody, until next time, I'm Ryan Roxy. Enjoy the ride. In the Trenches with Ryan Roxy. Hello.